0: Uh, Welcome. It is also my first Sunday back uh, from a break. Uh, My name is Lucy, for those who don't know me, and I'm also part of the ministry team here at New Penn. Um, And this morning, I am going to start with a game. So kids, if you want to turn your eyes to the screen, you may want to participate in this game. All right. This is a game of... Guess the sound. No, it's not. Uh, This is a game called Guess the Symbol. So, there's going to be pictures up on the screen and it's your job just to call out and tell me what it is that this sign or symbol means. All right, first one should be pretty easy. Let's whack it up on the screen. Thanks, Landon. Stop sign. You are correct. That means stop. All right, next one. Bring it up. No right turn. Did anyone have to do this? Because I don't know my left from my right, and I do this every time. Paul now has to say in the card that way, that your way, my way, don't understand left from right. I think God broke that part of me when he made the mould. He just decided I didn't need to know my left from my right. It's a bit of a disappointment, but that's okay. No right turn. It's not all about traffic symbols, so let's have a look at another one. This might be a little bit trickier. What does this one mean? Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. Kids were quick on that one. They're digital natives. They've grown up in this land. Oh, he's on Wi-Fi now. Good to know. All right, this next one, another one, probably the kids will get this super quick. McDonald's. McDonald's. Good, good. We've got, uh, I think, two more. What's this one mean? Bathroom. Bathroom, Toilet. Correct. Pardon? Love. 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 Oh, That's a bit cute. They're in love. I like that. I like that. Uh, Yes, so that's the the universal symbol for bathroom men's ladies. Uh, uh, Last one. This might bring some trauma to our young people. No No phones. Oh, Oh, no. Tragedy. It's all right. We're not going to go with no phones. But there's lots of signs and symbols in our world uh, that we just know by looking at them. Uh, And similarly, in uh, the time of Jesus, there were a lot of signs and symbols that people knew would point to the Messiah. So as we read the Gospels, uh, as we read the books of the Bible, there are certain things that we look at and we go, how on earth does anybody understand what that means? But if I was to take those half a dozen symbols and show them to people 2,000 years ago, they would have absolutely no idea what I was talking about. They wouldn't know what those signs and symbols mean. Uh, And so when we read the Bible, we need to make sure that we're reading it, having an understanding that there are signs and symbols that would have been understood by the people of the day that we don't necessarily get to understand. For example, this morning when I walked in, I had somebody say to me, are you going on safari? because I'm wearing a khaki onesie. Uh, Somebody else said that I look a little bit Bindi Irwin. I am neither of those things, um, but I do enjoy a onesie, so that's hence why I'm wearing it today. These are signs and symbols and things that we look at, and we go, I know what that means. But back in the day, they didn't have the same understanding. In fact, in the book of John which is a particularly heavy, symbolic gospel. He used or told us about lots of different signs and symbols and used certain language uh, that he said lots of this has been done. And in fact, in, verse tw- in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in in his name. So the signs and the symbols that we find in the Gospel of John and in other books are there so that we may know that Jesus is Lord. So as we unpack different things in the life of Jesus over the coming months up until Easter and beyond, We need to remember that these are signs and symbols that the people were looking out for. But John in particular has included a specific set of signs. He said, there's lots more. I could fill an entire, I could fill the world with the things that Jesus did. But I'm telling you the specific things so that you may know that he is Lord. And this morning, we're going to open up the very first of these signs that are recorded in the Gospels. Now, before we do that, I just want to have a look. I believe last week, Joss showed you this logo thing, ramp. Oh, what are we calling it? Ramp. It's a ramp. It's a disciple-making ramp. For the past 12 months, the ministry team have been uh, doing a course called Shift M2M. Uh, and as part of that, we have been learning about the life of Jesus and about how he went about his ministry. Uh, and what we have seen, what we have learnt, having done three Bible college degrees, including a master's, I learnt things through doing this course that I had not factored into uh, how I read the Gospels prior to doing this course. The biggest one of which can, is probably uh, that we have, a, we have an image that Jesus' ministry was a three-year ministry, And we think that he did all this stuff over three years. But what I learnt during this period, during last year, was that actually he spent about 18 to 21 months building his team, creating the foundations, what we call ministry foundations. That first 18 to 20 months, he hadn't even called the four. He had some followers, but he hadn't called He hadn't done his fishing trips yet. He hadn't said, come, let me make you fishers of men. That hadn't happened until about 18 months into his ministry journey. And so it's just mind-boggling to me that actually the bulk of it he probably did in the last 18 months. But this morning we're going to zoom in and we're going to be looking at the wedding Cana, which happened sometime early on. He had called his, he had some friends that he'd said, come, follow me, come see what I do. Come and see if I am the rabbi that you want to follow. Uh, And so he had some friends following him and we're going to pick up the story of the wedding at Cana, which is only in chapter two of John. Now this is an 18 month period and we're already, you know, chapter two. The Gospels aren't, in fact, the last half of the Gospel of John is one week. The first half is that first 20-something months. So that's also important to remember, that our Gospel timeline and the way we read it, uh, we need to remember that it's not equal in the amount of time that is given. Uh, so let's pick up reading uh, in, from chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and, John, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus said. My hour has not yet come. Now let me pause here and say that if my son turned to me and said, Woman, there would be words. Currently I'm getting bro. not sure I'm prepared for that. He's only seven. Uh, Bro! No. But if he said to me, woman... uh, But we need to understand that that's not... The interpretation uh, and the translation isn't actually a disrespectful term. Um, It's just the term that he would have used to address her if he wasn't saying mother. But it's not um, actually a disrespectful way. We may read it and go, woman, what are you doing? But it wasn't like, that was just woman. My hour has not yet come. Uh, His mother said to the servants do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw, out, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. It's pretty cool. Jesus likes to save the best till last. Uh, You have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in, Gal- in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, this is a stunning story, but to be honest, it creates a whole bunch of questions as well. Whose wedding was it? Why was Jesus invited? Um, how? Why did they run out of wine? When did this all happen in the chronology? We're not entirely sure. Uh, why was it that Mary knew that it had run out of wine? Was it potentially one of Jesus's siblings getting married? There is conjecture that it could be that. We actually don't have the answers to that, um, but there are some things that we do know. We do know that Jesus was present at the wedding that he and his disciples had been invited. We also know that to run out of wine at a wedding uh, was actually a massive faux pas, that uh, some suggest that during this time people could actually be punished and potentially jailed for running out of wine at a ceremony, that it was that big a deal if in the course of your wedding you ran out of wine. Now we're used to weddings that maybe last a few hours long, potentially an evening. Um, this was a seven day event. We don't know when in the seven days this happened. Uh, As I was talking to Dave, who's preaching this passage down at Rosebud this morning, he's uh, going with, and I'm going to copy him, the interpretation that the the very opening line where it says, on the third day, he's suggesting that that's the third day of the wedding, potentially. Um, So it's potentially half some time into the course of the wedding. We also do know this because the MC has turned around and said, Usually people give the great wine first and save the dodgy stuff for later. Uh, And so we know that this is probably the point when dodgy wine would be coming out. So it's probably sometime into that seven-day period. Um, And the fact that the great wine is coming out now is a sign that probably the wedding is sometime in. Um, But what else do we learn? We also know uh, that water, uh, water and wine were symbols of the covenant. So we talked a little bit about symbols earlier. I showed you some signs. So there are some things that the people reading this text would have known. They would have known that water and the jars used for ceremony, they were part of the symbols of the old covenant. And what Jesus is doing in this passage, part of what he's doing, is introducing the idea that a new covenant is coming, that water will be replaced by wine. But what else do we learn about Jesus in particular and about the way he sought to do ministry with those who were coming on the journey with him? The first thing that I want to look at is the fact that Jesus was social. Now, not everyone is a social being, but I, I'm a highly social person. As an extreme extrovert, uh, I like the social scene and Jesus We often get painted in more of an introvert light. He withdrew to pray. He did things solitary. He had his little buddies that he went off with because he didn't do big crowds or whatever. No. Jesus was social. Jesus was invited to this wedding. Jesus was part of a community. Jesus was part of a group of people that he did life with. And he wanted to be a part of their everyday lives. He wanted to be a part of the moments in their lives that stood out. He wanted to be a part of the times when you get to celebrate and you get to have joy. And he did that in this situation. And we see that Jesus was indeed social. And when we have a social time with Jesus, Jesus takes our social times and makes it spiritual. Jesus can take our social and make it a spiritual moment. When we invite Jesus into our social spheres and we allow him to be a part of our everyday life, of our journey of our exciting times, of our high times, of our low times, of our boring times, of our celebrations, Jesus takes our social and makes it spiritual. What do I mean by that? I mean that when we invite Jesus into the times in our lives when we just go, hmm, do I want to be a part of that? I don't know. Do we actually let Jesus be a part of all that we are? Then he can step into it and he can make it a spiritual space. One of the things that I get the privilege of leading uh, in my pastoral work is that I get to oversee life groups. Jesus never intended for us to be secluded or to be uh, in solitude as we do our walk with him. He took people along the journey with him as he did his ministry. He had people with him who knew what was going on. Uh, And so we see right here in this story that Jesus had his mates with him at this wedding. His disciples were there with him from the beginning. And I would like to say to you, If you are not part of a group of people who you can walk and do life with and explore Jesus with and pray with each other and step into the joys and the highs and the lows of life with, can I encourage you to join a life group? There is going to be an opportunity for new ones starting early in the year. There's going to be a group potentially exploring some of the shift stuff. Obviously, we did it over 12 months. We're not going to do the whole course, but we may be able to introduce you to some of the stuff in that ramp, um, we'd love for you guys to step into a space and join a life group and find people that you can do life's journey with as you explore the ministry and the work that Jesus is calling you to be a part of. He does want us to be social, but he also wants the Spirit to be in our lives at all times, not just for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. The second point that I want to draw from this passage Uh, is that Jesus takes out ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Jesus takes out ordinary and makes it extraordinary. You see, Jesus didn't do anything super fancy or use any extraordinary tools to perform this first miracle. And I often find it interesting that the first miracle wasn't a healing It wasn't taking a small amount of food and feeding 5,000 people. It wasn't a very public sign. This was for a small group of people who were at a wedding, who were in a time of celebration, and they'd simply run out of wine. A massive social faux pas, but not a dire situation that was going to end with somebody being crippled for life or somebody dying. Uh, This was just a social setting. This was a celebration. And yet, Jesus came and when he got asked, will you do this, he said, my time's not yet come. But we don't know exactly what happened to change Jesus' mind. We don't know what happened in the interaction between uh, him and Mary and the, the servants other than to say that Mary said, do whatever he tells you. It's probably a good motto in life, a little bit out of context, but do whatever he tells you. Good line to follow for your life. Um, But what we do know is that Jesus took ordinary things. Every home would have had ceremonial jars for cleansing, for ceremonial washing. Stone jars would have been present everywhere. Jesus said, take these ordinary stone jars that everybody has in their home. Take these and fill them to the brim, not with anything fancy, not with perfume, not with oil, not with um, anything that was hard to get. He didn't say, go to this specific fountain out there and bring me sparkling water. He just said, fill these to the brim with water. Water is the most common ordinary substance. Over 70% of the world is made up, the earth is made up of water. It's a very common substance. Very everyday substance. It's ordinary. But when Jesus takes the ordinary, he makes it extraordinary. When Jesus takes the ordinary, he makes it extraordinary. Now, again, we don't know exactly how this transpired. All we know is that Jesus said to the servants, Fill this with water. And they were obedient. The servants here play a pivotal role. If they would turned around and questioned Jesus, particularly when he said, okay, now dip into that water jar and go and take it to the masters of ceremony, they would have been like, um, okay, it's water. We're going to get in trouble. What's going on here? Taste it. And when the master of ceremony tasted it, it was no longer water. Because Jesus takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Jesus takes water and makes not only wine, but the most exquisite wine that they had tasted before. Jesus takes our ordinary and makes it extraordinary. What ordinary thing are you holding on to that Jesus wants to make Extraordinary. Will you hand it over to him this morning? The final point that I wanted to make this morning was that it's clear here that there is a need. There was an inadequate amount of wine present at the wedding. It was only potentially day three, but it was sometime into the wedding, but it was clear that there was still time to go. And uh, if it's, it's possible that uh, this wedding was going to be disrupted and destroyed because of inadequacy. And yet, what we learn here is that Jesus takes our inadequacy and makes it abundant. He didn't just say, fill one jar. He said, fill six ceremonial clay jars with water. Now, each of these jars were between 20 and 30 gallons. So he potentially made about 120 to 180 gallons of wine. That's a lot um, more than I can picture. Um, But he also made it abundant and he made it delicious. Delicious. You see, when Jesus takes our inadequacy, when Jesus takes our lack, when Jesus steps into the space where we feel like we don't have enough, he takes it and he doesn't only give us enough. He gives it to us in abundance. He gives it to us up to the brim. And he will take any area that you give him that you say, I am lacking, I do not have enough, I am not prepared for this, but if you step into that space with Jesus, he will take your inadequacy and he will make it abundant. But why? Why does he do these things? Why did this event occur in a tiny town north of where, where Jesus lived, Why had he travelled up to this wedding? Why did he choose this space? Uh, Was it just to be respectful to his mother who asked him a favour? We don't know. But what we do know is that in the last verse of this passage, Jesus says, just let me find it, sorry. Jesus says in the last verse, what Jesus did here in in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. The whole point of what Jesus was doing, what we are shown in the Gospels, was that Jesus was revealing his glory. And he had disciples who had already chosen to follow him. He had disciples who had already decided that they wanted to come and see what he was all about. But from this point, it tells us the disciples believed in him. This is the point where the disciples, the disciples, the first few, went from saying, I'm going to follow you and see what you're about, to I believe in you. Maybe you're at a point this morning where you have come to see what Jesus is about. You have come to see whether church, whether community, whether uh, having Jesus as your saviour is something that you want to come and see what it's about. For the disciples, this was the point that made them go, they they believed in him. If you want to choose to put your hope, your life and your belief in and your trust in Jesus this morning, can I encourage you to chat to somebody after the service? Uh, Either the person you've come with this morning, um, if you don't have someone that you're with, the pastoral team would love to do that. There's also people who will be available for prayer at the end of the service. And we would love to talk to you about how you can move from a come and see to Jesus revealing his glory so that you may believe in him. You know, many people say, I'm too ordinary. I'm too inadequate. I don't have enough. I have nothing to offer. At some point, we all reach a place of feeling like we have nothing. But when, especially when it comes to stepping in and doing something for God... You might say, I can't possibly be a prayer. I'm not spiritual enough. But Jesus takes our social and makes it spiritual. You might say, I couldn't possibly lead a life group. I have not done Bible college. You don't need to have any special requirements other than you need to love Jesus and love people and want to open the word and explore it together and see what it might say. Certainly, there might be others who are more educated or better prepared for a task, but God is the master of taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. Let me pray. God, as we look at each of these ordinary things, I'm struck by the way that Jesus used them like no one ever had before. His ways are new. Whether... You are newly investigating and coming to see who this Jesus is or whether you are an old saint. God can use you in new and exciting ways. His glory has been revealed. Will you believe in him today? Amen.